evidence that they had gathered was so scant and um, it was they, they, had, they hadn't really considered any paperwork, any strong evidence to suggest that their school is a really strong school and it's a safe school for the children. And more than anything else, to be told as a head teacher that you are not your, your school isn't a safe school for its children is the hardest thing to take. Mm. And I, I found that incredibly, incredibly difficult. And again, not because of that being defensive, it's not about being defensive, it's, but it's, it's simply knowing in, a, in my heart of hearts that they got that judgment completely, completely wrong. Welcome to Rethinking Education. Education's critical friend. Greetings once again, fellow passengers of Spaceship Earth. I come in peace. My son recently sent me a WhatsApp message which read, We are not humans experiencing the universe. Rather, we are the universe experiencing humans. I'll leave that with you. A problem shared is a problem halved. My name is James Mannion, and it is my profound pleasure and privilege to welcome you once again to the Rethinking Education podcast, education's critical friend. As regular Repod cats will be aware, this year I've done a few episodes that focus on our friends at the snazzily titled Office for Standards in Education, Children's Services and Skills, or Ofsted for short. Today I bring you a remarkable conversation with a headteacher called Calvin Henry, or rather a former headteacher, a fact that is actually quite pertinent to the story. Before I go any further, just by way of a heads up, this conversation is quite heart-wrenching in places. Calvin's story goes right to the heart of everything that is wrong with our current approach to holding schools accountable. Until recently, Calvin was the head teacher of St Mark's C of E Primary School in North London, in my old stomping ground as it happens just off the Holloway Road. Last year, Calvin went through an experience that he describes as being uncannily similar to that of Ruth Perry, the head teacher of Caversham Primary School in Reading, who very tragically took her own life earlier this year, following an Ofsted inspection that downgraded her school from outstanding to inadequate. Just a few short months after Ruth's death, the school was re-inspected and found to be good again. And indeed, precisely the same thing happened at St Mark's. To illustrate just how ridiculous this situation is, I'm going to do something that I don't usually do, which is to preview a short clip of something that I will say towards the end of this episode. My goodness. And, and you know, what's really interesting, so, so according to this, this so-called reliable watchdog, the school is good, and then in March it's really bad like to the not just requires improvement but all the way down to inadequate and then within a, a matter of months it's back to good again and then the, it begs the question doesn't it like so which is it <laughs> you know like is it the school that literally went from being good to inadequate to good and that you are a reliable measure of schools or is your is your ruler broken <laughs> you know they i mean that's probably a rhetorical question Thanks. but you know i mean it's just so obviously very very deeply flawed 
I know it's a bit weird to quote myself in this way, especially as you're going to hear it shortly anyway, but sometimes things bear repeating. This conversation was recorded in June of this year, and as we discussed at the start of this conversation, Ofsted did announce some minor tweaks to their policies and practices around the time of the recording. But if you ask almost any head teacher, and I am in regular contact with many of them, the reforms that Ofsted announced in June, while broadly welcomed, are widely considered to not go nearly far enough. Since the summer break, the furore around Ofsted has died down a little, but I strongly suspect it's going to pick up again in the coming weeks for a few reasons. First of all, the Beyond Ofsted group, chaired by Lord Jim Knight, is about to publish its report. Also in December, a group that I'm a member of, the Education Policy Alliance, will be publishing our vision of how we might create an accountability system that holds schools to account while supporting and celebrating school leaders and teachers rather than naming and shaming them. And then in January, the incoming Chief Inspector at Ofsted, Sir Martin Oliver, will take over the reins from Amanda Spielman as she steps down. Sir Martin has already indicated that he would like to undertake a big listening exercise at the start of his tenure. I sincerely hope that this conversation with Calvin reaches his ears. As with the other interviews with heads, former heads and former HMIs in this series, which so far includes Rebecca Leake, David Phillips, Frank Norris, Julie Price Grimshaw, Dave McPartlin and an upcoming episode with Ben Davis. This week I spoke with another head teacher whose school has been in an Ofsted window for several months now. They described how being in an Ofsted window distorts the day-to-day -day running of the school. They also said that they lie awake from 2.30am every night worrying about what might happen when they get that dreaded call. Obviously accountability is important. Nobody would deny that. But this is an appalling way to treat hardworking professionals. Apart from anything else, it has a deeply corrosive effect on the already desperate situation around teacher retention. As I just mentioned, the subject of this episode has since left the teaching profession as a direct consequence of his rough treatment at the hands of the inspectorate in which he was, until recently, a lead inspector himself. So it's also having an impact on Ofsted's own ability to recruit high-quality inspectors of which they themselves are in short supply. In this episode, we'll hear about how Ofsted invited Calvin back to become an inspector after his school's judgment had returned to good. He politely but firmly declined their offer. So it's not only deeply disappointing, but it's also somewhat perplexing that Ofsted did not take the opportunity to instigate the necessary reforms in responding to what happened at Caversham Primary School earlier this year. Even though I found it quite difficult to listen back to parts of this conversation, it was genuinely a great privilege to be able to speak with Calvin about his experiences and his work. He's just so obviously a good man insightful, knowledgeable, caring, and until recently a committed school leader. If a public institution is making people like Calvin want to leave the profession, and not just want to, but actually leave the profession, then we have a serious problem on our hands and we need to take a hard-headed look at what's going on. We need to preserve the valuable and useful roles that Ofsted fulfills and we need to rethink the rest. And this, my friends, is what we're here to do. So let's crack on with it. 
Just by way of a final word, if I may, these podcasts take a really long time and a lot of effort to bring into being, and there's also more to Rethinking Education than the podcast. We also organise conferences and work with the Education Policy Alliance, and there's also a lovely online community that's grown up around this podcast, the Rethinking Education Megamind, and we have regular Zoom calls so that people can, can check in with one another and talk about what's going on for them. By the way, if you want to join the Megamind, you're very welcome. Check out the link in the show notes. All of this is a labour of love, and it's all done on a pro bono basis, with the honourable exception of a few listeners and viewers who contribute via Patreon. If you would like to join them in contributing to the Rethinking Education project, please consider visiting patreon.com forward slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D. You'll receive free stuff in return for the price of admission, including a searchable transcript of every episode to date. So if you want to listen back to something, or if you're writing an essay and you want the text version of some juicy quote that somebody said, you can search for a keyword and it will transport you via the magic of technology to that very part of the recording is actually kind of amazing. And if you'd rather make a one-off donation rather than a monthly thing, you can shout me a coffee or a pumpkin frappuccino if the spirit moves you at buymeacoffee.com forward slash repod. Okay, without further ado, I will now hand over to my recent fascinating and really quite a roller coaster of a conversation with Calvin Henry. I hope you enjoy the show. Just for the benefit of any listeners or viewers who um, who aren't familiar with what we're doing currently, we, I'm, I'm currently in the middle of a series of, of interviews all around one topic, which is Ofsted, which is not something that I've done on the podcast before, but it's something that feels necessary to explore this in detail. Um, and before I ask you to introduce yourself, just it's worth noting that, that Ofsted is in the news again this week because we're, we're recording this at the start of June 2023. And this week, Ofsted, having met a few times, it seems that Gillian Keegan, Secretary of State, has met a few times with Ruth Perry's sister, um, Julia Waters, and um, and they've come up with a bunch of, of suggestions for how they're going to how they're going to respond. So there's, there's an article in front of me here from Schools Week, the seven Ofsted inspection changes following Ruth Perry's death, although they've got two number fives, so I think there might be eight things. I was just wondering, have you seen this and what are your initial thoughts or, or responses to, to this announcement that they're going to make these changes to how they do things? I have seen this, um, James, yes. Um, <clears throat> and um, I suppose it's a start. Um, there are some positives there, some significant positives there, um, specifically in relation to the inspection of safeguarding and, and coming back to schools um, within a three-month time frame if there are particular um, issues in, in relation to safeguarding because naturally parents, um, everybody really, um, is, all school stakeholders will want to know that children are safe within a school. And what you wouldn't want to do, of course, is to leave a school for for months and months and months and potentially years with safeguarding issues and uh, um, in, in Ofsted size anyway um, and certainly so coming back within a, a short time frame to ensure that the 
the school is, um, in Ofsted's view, and the school's view, of course, a safe place for its children is is, is welcome news, okay? And and also, um, if, if they've addressed those concerns, then um, the inadequate, if the school has been judged inadequate, the inadequate judgment will be will be lifted and the school hopefully can return to what it what it believes it to be in relation to its evaluation of itself. Um, so that's 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 a good one. Um, um, the complaints process is being um, um, overhauled, um, and there's consultation out there at the moment as well in relation to that. However, there is a bit of a concern in, in my view, you know, um, and that that doesn't go far enough, um, and that's particularly in relation to. Um, the initial complaints being investigated by, um, if you put in a complaint, let's say, for example, after your school's been inspected, the complaint itself would be looked at or reviewed by an officer inspector. Um, possibly, it doesn't, doesn't make clear, um, um, doesn't make clear at the moment, if the inspector is from within the same team. Uh, my my view is, if you really want it to, to be a, a credible process, then it would be better to have um, a, a another independent senior inspector look at um, the evidence base from a another Ofsted region around the UK. There are eight, I think, eight Ofsted regions around the UK. It doesn't have, it wouldn't I mean, I'm based in London. It does It wouldn't have to be the London um, um, inspector because by and large they. They all know each other. I must suggest for a moment that it wouldn't be independent, but they all know each other and, and they sometimes will work together. So my view is, is, is it would be better if it, if, if it went even further and it was completely independent, i.e. I being in, in another team. Um, the information for schools bit is good, I think, in, in relation to giving schools a, be, uh, a better sense of when they're likely to be inspected. Also, um, the sense that um, as a minor school, has had its inspection um, and the findings of that inspection can be shared um, amongst other professionals um, rather than it being kept you know, um, um, to the head teacher or, or, or to key governors. So that can be shared more widely amongst the, amongst, certainly amongst the professional school community, which is, which is, which is welcome. There's some, 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 some good things there, but doesn't go far enough in my view and specifically around um, than the the single judgments um, that schools are 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 given, and particularly in relation to overall effectiveness, um, and that's simply because I don't think that those single word judgments provide a secure enough rounded view about a school as a whole. Yeah, thank you, thank you. It's been really interesting and and very um, very considered response. You've obviously given this some thought. Um, a couple of points to pick up on there. I, th I think you're right. It's a welcome start. It shows that there is some, there is there is willingness for for some sort of movement. That question about the complaints procedure and who it should be looked at by is an interesting one. And I was I was looking at an exchange on Twitter yesterday, 
um, where John Bald had commented and said that formal complaints will be invested. So he was quoting from uh, from the statement, formal complaints will be inspected by a member of Ofsted staff. And it does say that it would be independent of the inspection. But he said, that's not good enough. That person should be HMI and work to HMI standards. And then Mina Wood, who is a, soon to be a guest on this podcast, said that I said, I don't agree, unfortunately, as in my experience uh, with inspections, there's too much inconsistency with complaint reviews conducted by HMI uh, and that it needs an independent body. And just as a final comment on that, Frank Norris, who has also featured, he's, in, he's a former HMI himself, who's been on this little series that we're doing, said that he agrees with Mina. He said, I never thought that we would require this, but at the moment, it seems a sensible approach. Um, and, and that's an interesting question, isn't it? That, that I think that part of the concern with 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 the the old complaints procedure is that very few of them were upheld and there was a sense that Ofsted is marking its own homework and just basically saying <laughs> everything's fine and and lots of people are saying it's really not and so i think that you know based on based on what those people are saying certainly that there that there may be a case for a completely independent body to watch the watchers as it were what what are your thoughts on that yeah completely agree I um, completely agree. Um, there was a sense of in the current complaints framework framework that you are marking your own homework. Um, at the moment, what currently exists um, at stage one complaint is it goes to, to the lead inspector. Yes, yes, the, the, the evidence base has been quality assured, but it goes to the lead inspector. Um, he or she will look at the um, the complaint and comment on the complaint and may may make some changes here and there, some tweaks here and there, as was my experience. Um, and then they send it back to us. And then on the basis of what we, we received back, we then submitted a second complaint and went to the stage two complaints process, which, like I said, gets looked at by another independent, inverted commas, inspector within the same team. Um, within the same London team, in my, in, you know, in, in my experience, um, and and like I said, it would it, yes, fine for it to be looked at by another independent person, but I, but I think that would be much better if it was an independent person from not within the same team who has no knowledge of the people, the other inspectors who are working within the, the said team um, within the one of the regions of the UK. Um, and I and I know that because you know I I'm not sure if you're you're mindful, James. I'm, I I was previously an Ofsted inspector myself. Right, I didn't know that actually. I was I was previously a lead Ofsted inspector too. Um, for for and I've been inspector in 2014 until until this year. Um, so I know so I know how the how the system works, if you like. Yeah, sure. I mean, it seems like there's maybe a case for it to be ex-inspectors, right? That they could, like a former HMI or a former offset inspector could work for this independent body that Possibly. would that would investigate complaints without without fear of repercussion. Because that's that would be the sense, wouldn't it? That that offset could potentially apply pressure within within the organization on people to, you know, to lean one way or the other um with regard to complaints. And so, and it's too important this to to allow that. To continue, there's clearly a sense that that's been happening. Um, I mean, look, we welcome the the notion that with with a, with a draft proposal at the moment that there the, that there's going to be more effective dialogue um, between the lead inspector and the school um, during the during the inspection um, because 
as head teachers, as leaders of schools, you get caught up in the melee and the business of the inspection. And you may get asked a question, you know, how's everything going so far? Is the conduct okay? Is everything fine? And, you, and invariably, you often say yes, because you're, you're worried about the implications if you say no, potentially. Mm. And, so, and, then, and then therefore, those, those, that what you say is captured in the evidence base. And, and then they, you know, Ofsted can say, well, you said there was, you know, everything was fine. Um, but anyway, there's, there, there, hopefully there's scope for more of that. There's also scope for, within the proposals, for um, for leaders, so head teachers, to to go back to Ofsted a day later, and and then make um, you know if they, if they do on reflection have a complaint based on you know having reflected overnight after the inspection's over, then again that will be taken and considered and could lead to you know uh, the essence of report being changed or even in Ofsted. You know, according to what they've written, potentially judgment and being changed as well. So there is scope for, um, within their current proposals, for things to change quite significantly. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about um, about that that feedback, because I've, I've often said that in response to this, people have said, but look at the amazing feedback that we get from people in the post-inspection survey. And just to, just to clarify, it's not anonymous, that survey is it? I'm assuming that you filled out at least one of these post post inspection um, feedback forms. Do you I, recall? I don't, I don't quite know where it goes. You you fill, you fill it out on, on the portal, on the Ofsted portal, so it goes to them. But, but and and do you have to sign in with your details so that then yeah. so then they know which school that feedback is coming from? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and so of course, if it's not anonymized feedback, and people, especially if they've felt like they've had a borderline conversation where they've had some, you know, like oh, this could go one way or the other, and it's, they've just nudged over the line, and they might a just be breathing a big sigh of relief. B, they've probably built up a bit of rapport with the with the Ofsted inspector, regardless of what's happened. And so they want to, you know, there's a bit of sort of personal well-being, well-wishing there. Um, but also it's like, I don't want to don't want to rock the boat now, right? Like we we don't want to do anything to to this report hasn't been written or published yet. Absolutely. We, so I think that that the the data also there's been some interesting questions raised about the way that those questions are asked <clears throat> so there's a there's a, there's a well-known um feature in in writing surveys called agreement bias where people will just tend to agree with any statement that you put in front of them so if you say like recycling is really important most people will agree and then if you say recycling is a total waste of time because it all just ends up in a landfill anyway most people will agree with that as well and so to, to address that, good surveys have an equal number of positively and negatively worded statements to, to cancel out that agreement bias, if you like, and then you reverse the scores when you're analysing it later on. And that isn't being done. And so they're sort of saying, oh, I think that this inspection was fair and robust. And you go, yeah. tick, yes, of course. They, they consulted pupils and parents. Yes, of course. And so they're just they're playing into that agreement bias and giving themselves favorable, again, marking their own homework to some extent. And that might be because there's a lack of awareness of social research methods within the, you know, their team, but you know, that's not good enough. They need to look at that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, okay. And and then yeah, we, and with regard to lots of people have focused on the one-word judgment. It was literally on just on they were talking about it on Radio 4 on the World at One just now. Um uh, and 
and I know your views on this because I've got an, I've got an article about uh, about you from from Schools Week, and the, the call out thing at the top is what Ofsted don't seem to understand is the impact that single word has on people and how it can destroy them. Um, and this was indeed why I why I reached out to you to invite you to take part in this conversation, and just to for the benefit of, of readers or listeners, not readers, listeners or viewers who. Uh, aren't familiar with with this, uh, the opening sentence of that Schools Week profile says, um, after the recent outpouring of anger over the death of Ruth Perry, a head teacher who described his Ofsted experience as uncannily similar speaks out. Um, and so that's what I'd very much like to hear today is just to, just to hear your own story as to you know what's happened in in I think that that's in particular to one particular inspection but you might want to reflect further back on your long and illustrious career um so so let, to, to begin with we perhaps should have done this at the top of this conversation but could you please just sort of introduce yourself to our listeners and just explain sort of where you work what you do how long you've been doing it for sure no problem thank you James um yeah so um I have been a head teacher since oh, 2006, September 2006. Um, it's my third headship that I'm currently in. Um, and I've worked as a head teacher in Camden and in Islington and now in Herringer. And I did a period of consultancy, um, predominantly as a head teacher, I suppose, in essence, um, also in Hackney. So I've worked um, within and across um, you know, quite a few in, in, in the London authorities. Um, and my first headship I did for, oh, I think it was nine years, and, and I coincided that with a period of executive headship when I was a head teacher in Islington at the same time. And I've been within my current school, um, for, uh, it's my fifth year of, of being here. And throughout that time, um, of course, I've been subjected, subjected to um, um, a number of offset inspections. Um, um, and I have had, by and large, very successful inspections, including inspections that have been good and outstanding. Um, and as I explained earlier, I've also um, been an offset inspector for a number of years. I, I became an inspector myself in 2014, and for a period of time, for two or three years, I was a lead inspector as well. And I, I stopped being an inspector this year, particularly following my recent and adverse experience of my uh, the inspection of my own school. So by and large, I know the framework. I, 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 I know the framework in relation to not only having been an inspector, but also um, having been subject to it. And, and, and I've always adapted um, um, not my practice so much, but how our, our, our own school's evaluation according to the requirements of the framework. So I've always known what the framework is. And of course, we've always made sure that as a school, um, we our practice by and large reflects what the framework requirements are. Right. Okay. And have you ever have you ever kept a tally? Do you know how many Ofsteads you've been through as a head teacher? As a head teacher, 7, 10, 13 now. One, two, three, four, five. I think about seven or eight. Seven That's or eight. eight. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and I mean, before we get into the, you mentioned a particularly adverse experience. I just wonder, like, as you look back over those seven or eight, 
What's your sense? Like, there's one thing that um, that I'm curious about with regard to Ofsted is that the, the framework changes so often. It's like I think there's been ten changes in the last twenty years or something. So it's something like once every two years, which is interesting in itself, isn't it? Because like, if something's so important that you that a name can be, can, sorry, that a school can be sort of named and shamed and hauled over the coals for it, and yet what you consider to be important is changing so regularly that's interesting i was just wondering if you as you look back over that period of time what's your sense as to as to how much the framework has changed from one from one to the next yeah it's, it's a very good question um and, and bizarrely um with this current framework i i received the training for this current framework um a few years ago a good couple of years ago when when it first came out and I welcomed it by and large back then because it was all about curriculum. It was all about the national curriculum. And, and the essence of the framework, in my view, was if you're teaching the Bible for teaching, which is the national curriculum, and you're teaching it well, and your children are making progress, you know, week on week, term by term, year on year, against the objectives, against national curriculum requirements, then by and large, you know, the children and they're making progress and they're, and they're, meeting, those, and they're meeting those objectives. And by and large, um, you, you, your, your quality of education, the quality of education within your school, by and large, should be, should be evaluated and judged as good because children are making progress against what's being taught and if it's being taught well enough. And, and that was, for me, by and large, you know, in, in some way, I suppose, the essence of what this new framework is about in terms of quality of education, well, a well-sequenced, well-delivered, well-planned curriculum. And so I welcome that. And I welcome that more than the frameworks of old. Um, and, I, and I go back to the framework that existed in 2013, for example, where what happened prior to that, my school had been inspected when I was a head teacher on two occasions, and it was just to be outstanding um, under two different frameworks. And then the 2013 framework um, was applied when, when I was inspected again. And at that time, um, as I recall, um, they, the, the, the school had, had to have, it was, all, it was all, a lot about outcomes and progress, but the school had to demonstrate that the rates of progress for children um, by the time that they leave the school, need, needed to be so many APS points and old money in terms of in terms of levels. Okay, yeah. in key stage one and key stage two, by and large, you had to have so many APS points to be evaluated as being outstanding. Now, the school that I had, um, I was a head of teacher of, wasn't most schools are very inclusive, but this was a school that had two resource spaces for children um, with physical, one with physical disabilities, one for children with autism. So a high number of particularly high number of special needs in a mainstream school with two resource spaces. So a number of those children were never going to make that level of progress. And that impacted overall on the on the progress that the cohort by then by the end of year six would would, would have made, would would, would make. And so we're never going to get the required. I think it was 15 APS points between key stage one and key stage two to be outstanding. I think we had something like 13.6. So I couldn't argue against that because it was very rudimentary. It was, you know, it was very empirical. It was very qualitative. I couldn't argue against that back then. Um, and so the outcomes, 
and to be evaluated to be good because it was all about APS points, as we were told at the time. Whereas the current framework um, was all about the quality of education and progress from children's starting points, which was which is welcome news to practitioners, to leaders, to teachers, to practitioners. So by and large, I was all in favour of it because all about progress according to children's starting points and the quality of education that they're getting and proved to us that these, the children are getting a really good quality of education against national curriculum expectations and show their progress. So that's showing and evidence in that. And that is music to, you know, by and large, teachers, leaders, ears, really, um, in terms of what we're expected to do. Yeah. And so, so do you, you, you said at first, when it first came out that you welcomed that framework, just like setting aside your, your, your experience of that recent inspection, which we'll get into shortly. Um, do you still feel that way about that framework or can you see that there are now some problems with it? Um, I said, the essence of the framework, I think is, 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 is okay. Okay, I think in, in principle, the essence of of what it of what it is, what it what, it, what it's about, um, how it was constructed, I, I completely get all of that. It's all about the interpretation of it by by inspectors, um, and and I think it's more about how they have been, have interpreted what's required of them um, as inspectors once they go into schools. And that's and so therefore it's about a level of consistency of inspection, um, and rather necessarily about the essence of what the framework should be should be about. Yeah, I see. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and you can see that, can't you? Because when it was based on APS, is that I think that stood for average point score, didn't it? That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, like Excel, Excel spreadsheet can tell you whether the school is outstanding, right? But if it's yeah. like, you know, to what extent are different schools evidencing things in different ways? And then it all of a sudden becomes this big subjective swamp sure. and you're not comparing like with like. And what's really interesting is what you just said a minute ago about how under that APS system, you know, like observing a school with very few uh, SEND children with a school with like you say, two resource centres specifically set up to support those those children in a mainstream setting. Obviously, that's not a level playing field. <laughs> You're disadvantaging schools that are that are doing really really difficult work. Um, and we, it seems that we're still we the, the role we Ofsted is still making that mistake of just having like so. There's one framework for primary and secondary that, that covers that covers all different kinds of settings and. They're not like this. So there's such a diverse population of schools that you know you're you're not like you might think. Oh, it'll be reliable if if we're, if we're measuring them all on the same playing field. It's a little bit like how we say that GCSEs are a level playing field because everybody's doing the same exam. But you know, I had Sarah Jane Blakemore on the on the podcast a few months ago, and she was talking about how you know when the GCSE was invented, we didn't know anything about about adolescent brain development. And now that we do, the one thing that we really know is how diverse adolescent brains are at the age of 15 and 16. You are not comparing people on a level playing field because they're at totally different stages of development physically and biologically. And so it seems that we're still sort of playing that game. And that's essentially what Ofsted 
is all about, isn't it? It's about having this like national standard, this national sort of bar or set of bars that can be used to, and it seems to be based on this assumption that that bar can be used to reliably evaluate the entire landscape of, you know, 20,000 20, schools or something. Yeah, it just no, feels like no, that's I'm not... I, I think you're right, James. And I think the curriculum that we do provide for our children, it's, 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 it's very weighty, it's very heavy. There's, there's a lot in there, um, and by and large, you know, we it's, it's, it's incredibly aspirational for our children, for lots of our children, um, particularly post, you know, COVID, COVID pandemic, and there are significant gaps in children's learning, and and in lots of schools are still playing catch up with that. Lots of a number of schools are still doing that, particularly for a number of our younger children where the basic skills. You know, are still they're still struggling with the lots of the basic skills, and so having that level of expectation to expect children to, uh, to be, to be uh, to be learning in detail the requirements of the science or the or the geography curriculum is it's yes yes but yes we know that they they need a, a science and a geography diet but not at the expense of the basic skills and lots of our children and lots of our schools are really struggling still with children who need to catch up and also um, struggling with ensuring that children are coming to school regularly because we know in lots of schools around the country attendance has fallen off a cliff and so lots and lots of our children aren't coming to school as regularly mm. as we hope. Absolutely yeah that's a that's a huge topic that comes up a lot on the podcast um right so let's 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 um talk about your about your recent um experience if you're happy to do so and i realize that this is not probably the, the most pleasant um story to tell probably cathartic um, james <laughs> yeah okay yes um, and and so, so and, and so if you'd like if you just take your time and take us back to the beginning when, when did this when did this inspection in question take place yeah, it was last March, March 2022, the end of March. Um, and we had an unannounced um, inspection. And the unannounced inspection, um, Section 8 inspection, um, was converted into a Section 5 inspection um, on, on the same day. Um, please, can you, please can you explain for the benefit of... Of people who aren't familiar so so unannounced is that literally they just turn up they just turn up yeah within 15 they, they called they called me at, on I think it was a Tuesday morning about eight o'clock and they were in school by 8 15 yeah whoa okay and and no. is that and is that is so is that used in the case of when when there's a particular like if concerned a, that there's yeah, something going if wrong. There, if there's a concern, if, if, if there's been a registered concern that's gone to Ofsted, um, and they've looked into the concern, um, and of course I can't talk to you about what that is, about what that concern was, um, but if they've looked into that concern and they and they deem that they should visit the school based on the nature of that concern, that's that's what they did. Right. And and were you in an Ofsted window at this time? Were you sort of um, half expecting them? No, not this, not last year, um, because we'd been told that um, all schools post-COVID um, would be inspected later. Um, so yeah, I think there was 
a year, 18 months grace or thereabouts. So we weren't in the window. We're expecting the window to fall within the current academic year. Um, but right. certainly not last, not last year. Having said that, you know, you're, all schools are, or by and large, most schools are always Ofsted ready. You know, you, you always make sure that you, you've got to do your and posture tees to make sure that you're, that Ofsted could come into your school at any moment in time. And that's where we were. We, we you know, we weren't overly, I wasn't overly concerned when they called. I wasn't, you know, I didn't panic. None of us panicked. We just, we just thought, okay, they're coming in. Let's just get on me. Of course, there's a degree of anxiety because you want to put your best foot forward, of course. So, um, and I'm assuming that they didn't tell you in that call why it is that they're doing this unannounced visit. So, I mean, it's interesting that you said there's knowing that you didn't really feel anxious about that because I, I would have I would have expected that you would be thinking, oh my goodness, somebody they're, they're concerned about something. Get the paper shredder out. Yeah, I'm just joking, yeah. but like you know, like like what? It'd be, it'd be a bit of a sort of panic station moment. Like, what could it be that they have concerns about? Look, like, course we're, course we're do, you, do, do you now know what what the concern was? Yeah, yeah, I, I, it was of it was of a safeguarding nature, which I can't disclose. Sure, but for you know, for obvious reasons. Yeah, um, but um, but nonetheless, it, it, it something had happened in the school, um, which wasn't you know. Um, all I can say is it, it, it happened, and it would the sort of thing that would never ever happen again. And it wasn't because of anybody's. No, there wasn't any malpractice at any point, and not, at no point did anybody feel safe. And I'm sorry, no point did anybody feel unsafe, the children that is. And, sure. Um, it wasn't it wasn't anything to do. The school hadn't failed in any in any way, shape, or form, is all I can say. I um, see. All right. And so and so and so I'm assuming that that from what you said, so that the 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 so section eight is the unannounced one, and it was changed to a section five, which is like a normal offset inspection on that morning so so they, they were it seems that they were satisfied that the thing that the safeguarding concern wasn't you know, a game changer that they weren't going to, you know. Well, no, my, my sense was um, they, they they converted the Section 8 into a Section 5 because they, they said that they had some concerns around safeguarding in the school, which they, which they um, were investigating, not investigating, but while they were looking for evidence of secure safeguarding practice within across the school. And throughout the morning, they did um, a, quite a few um, activities um, throughout the school, which include, for example, um, speaking to um, key people within the school and um, talking to children. Um, and, and on the basis of that, by and large, they said that they were going to convert, although convert the section eight inspection into a full section five inspection and that's implemented that they were going to look at all the inspection areas quality of education behavior personal development leadership management and turn it into a full inspection and that's what they duly did right and and what what was the previous Ofsted rating that the school was under at it was the time? good it was, it was it was a good school yeah. right okay and so what happened next so they turned it into full inspection and they were under they did their deep dive activities and they were um interviewing lots of people and they're talking to children, going into lessons. They they would do what inspectors typically do during the inspection. And and right the way throughout the entire inspection itself, there were at no point did um did we believe that it wasn't going to typically well. We had the day one um feedback at the end of day one. And okay, they said these are the strengths, and there were lots of them. 
and they said these are some of the areas that we are we need further we need to further investigate and look into and they said okay and these are some of the things that we're a wee bit concerned about but at no point did we think um, at, you know, during any of the feedback that we got in any of the what's called the keeping touch meetings or the feedback sessions, at no point did we get a sense that it, that we, you know, that the school wasn't doing particularly well, even on, even towards the end of day two, which was the second day of the second and final day of the inspection, and I had and I and I sat in my office with the lead inspector. Um, at, towards the end of day two, um, and he sat down um, opposite me, and he said that he had some concerns about safeguarding within within my school, um, and particularly around um, he said racist, homophobic, and sexist behaviour amongst our children, some of our older children, and he said it's based on conversations that they'd had with with children um, rather than any specific evidence that they was made available to them um and and he said that on the on 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 the on the back of that and the back of what they they saw or and so on the back of what they had ex, not even experienced because they I don't think they experienced anything but on the back of the evidence that they gathered I should say from the from the pupils no, the, uh, the evidence they gathered, the inspectors themselves, throughout, throughout the two days of being in the school, yeah. back of the evidence they had gathered, that they were going to be judging the school to be inadequate. And, and you know, you could, you, 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 I was absolutely floored. Um, and I sat opposite him and I said that you are describing a school that I do not recognise. Um, and and I, I was I was I was clear with him that I was absolutely clear that he'd got the judgment wrong. Um, that that was not the school. The school that he was describing was not the school that I had experienced for the past you know four years back then as the leader of the school. Um, and everybody else would, everybody else who knows the school, they look, you know the. External evaluators who come into the school, either from the either from the diocese, local authority, a whole range of people of people who, who know the school really well. The other, the governors, the other senior leaders. I said it's not a school that any of us would recognise. Um, and I and I asked them the question if that would what was going to be the team's judgment, and he said yes, it would be. And I said, well, I said, I, 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 said, I don't know where that's come from, because that certainly isn't um, my evaluation or my understanding or my experience of, 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 of this school in any way, shape or form. And, and, and oh, oh, it, like I said, it's, it's just even even thinking about it now sort of makes me really upset and angry because it, it, it was it completely and utterly took us all by complete surprise. It wasn't, and it wasn't the school that we that we know understand enough. And yeah. in no way, shape, and you know, I, I know, I know, you know, I'm not just saying this because I'm a head teacher. I've obviously, obviously, inspector. I'm being defensive. Look, all head teachers will put their hands up and say, look, if if we've if, if something is isn't right within our school, 
and you've come into our school and it's very evidently there that you, you can provide me with really strong evidence to support your assertion that my school isn't what we're saying it is, then hands up, you know, um, we'll take it on the chin and we'll deal with it and we'll put things in place. But the evidence that they had gathered was so scant and um, it was that they had they hadn't really considered any paperwork, any strong evidence to suggest that their school is a really strong school and it's a safe school for the children. And more than anything else, to be told as a head teacher that you are not you, your school isn't a safe school for its children is the hardest thing to take. Mm. And I, I found that incredibly, incredibly difficult. And again, not because of that being defensive. It's not about being defensive, but it's, it's simply knowing in, a, in my heart of hearts that they got that judgment completely, completely wrong. Yeah. On the basis of having spent a day and a day and a half in a school that you've you know been in every day for the last four years, and like you say, they just misread it based on and and do you think that going back to what we were saying earlier do you think that that's because like yesterday on BBC breakfast um Julia Waters who we mentioned earlier Ruth Perry's sister said that that she thought that the problem was a, a real lack of clarity around expectations with regard to safeguarding that if that that she felt that that was what in particular in in, in the case of of Cavisham primary that 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 was essentially the problem that there was just a lack of clarity around what it was that the inspectors would be looking for and she was penalized on that basis is that something that you that you shared do you do you feel like that that you that they were i mean it doesn't even sound like it was that they were asking for things that you didn't know they would be asking for but rather just that they had some 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 method of of sort of come, arriving at a, a decision, like you said, you, you said it was based on scant evidence, yeah. but not not backed up by sort of you know facts and figures or paperwork or whatever. Yeah. What's your sense? Do you agree with that? That that the the, the the safeguarding element of the framework is just really vague and and far too open to interpretation. It is open to interpretation, absolutely. Um, but for me, so in my experience, it was. It was the lack of the inspectors adhering to what Ofsted promotes, and that's about ensuring that they evaluate the culture of safeguarding within the school, the culture of safeguarding. And that's more than just about speaking to, you know, a handful of children. Um, it, it's about speaking to parents also about their evidence it's about looking at parent surveys their own surveys which they didn't consider 95 percent plus of parents said uh, of the 78 surveys that had been received had said that they were incredibly happy with the school or that the school provided them their school the school is a safe and happy place for its children that's what that's a really high percentage in officer terms mm. about looking at evidence like that it's about really understanding the culture in relation to how children conduct themselves around the school there wasn't one behavior incident while they were in the school children felt safe um children in the playground that one behavior incident was reported yes they mentioned they said because children have told them oh yeah sometimes some children are sexist or racist or they said homophobic things our evidence that we presented to them, and the three years of evidence showed that I think there'd been two or three of that um, um, sexist comments or homophobic comments the last two or three years. 
and they know that, and, they, and we could demonstrate how they've been dealt with effectively. But that, none of the evidence was considered. The evidence that was really considered in their eyes was the, um, you know, the the views of, of a handful of children. I'm not going to suggest either that their views aren't valid. You know, their views are valid. Of course, they are. If that's their views at that moment in time, then of mm. course we'll take them into consideration and we'll do what we need to do to make sure that they feel wholeheartedly safe and secure. But they, 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 they spoke to a small handful of children, some of whom had been pre-selected and, and by after themselves. And they said that they, and they completely denied this when I put the complaint in, um, that the, that was, that there wasn't any, anything in the evidence space to suggest that the children had been pre-selected, but I know that they had done because they, they asked me <laughs> to pre-select the children. Um, and they wanted specific children who'd been involved in a, in a recent incident. And I was a bit concerned about that, but nonetheless, no, what's done is done. That, that, I see. Is, it, is that in relation to the incident that the, that the initial unannounced inspection was to do with? No, no, it wasn't in relation to that incident. It's in relation to an incident that we'd had, we were, we were dealing with at that moment in time. I see. It's arrived in the school. Right. So, so, so naturally, so they were, so let's just say that because it was an incident that was ongoing that we were dealing with, okay. Yeah. And, Children were a few of the children were a bit more flavoursome with their with what they had to say, <laughs> and and um, and look, like I said, I'm not, I'm not children's views are children's views, and we take them very seriously, and we dealt with and we dealt with what we're dealing with properly during the time of the inspection. But like I said, the inspectors are speak to those specific children, and really shouldn't have done, in my in my view. Um, well, it's not it's not representative sampling, is it? Like absolutely, you know, you should speak to the the the. the children who, who are involved in ongoing issues but as a representative sample you know like that's that's gonna that's gonna lead you to a to a very particular conclusion and to 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 build up a very particular picture of the school that as you say is not is not representative yeah, of the absolutely. whole absolutely anyway, that was, that was so anyway, that happened and 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 like i said fundamentally it led to an outcome in our school that was um that we fundamentally knew was inaccurate judgment for the school and so obviously we then went through the process of challenging um challenging the the offset findings mm. and be, be, like before we let's, let's pick that up in a, in a while so you so you you put in a complaint and you, you, you tried to appeal and say this was this was unfair or whatever Let, let's return to that in a moment um but i was just wondering so so um to go back to that single word, you've just been told that that your school is inadequate, that unbelievably potent word. Could you just describe, I wonder, you know, like just what effects that had on you like that day? Like, like how did that play out for you? I didn't even go to the final feedback, James. I, I, I it was the most, I, I, I didn't expect it. I was flawed. I didn't know what I was going to do. I couldn't face anybody. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't even go home. Um, so um, rather than going to the final feedback meeting, I mean, what they do, what what the inspector, what the lead inspector did, he he told me what the final judgment was going to be, and then the process after that is you. I I then take my deputy, um, by and large, with um, and post it to within the room with the inspectors and what they do they marshal the evidence and they talk to each other about the different um judgment area the the inspection areas and then they go through the framework and then they determine 
what it's the judgments were going to be against the framework, and I knew what those judgments were going to be because I've been told um, by the lead inspector. Um, so I would have to, I was, I would have, to, I would have to have sat through that, and then later, about an hour later, if that, if that we'd invite the governors would be invited in, local authority, the diocese would be invited in, and all other state, any other stakeholders, um, senior, you know, senior professionals would be invited into the room potentially, and. And we'd go through a summary version of, of that marshalling of evidence um, and be told again. And quite frankly, I couldn't face that. So I, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I wrote a resignation letter, left it on my desk and left the school and went for a, just walked, I just walked and I walked for five hours. Um, and I couldn't go home, and I was distraught, as you can imagine. Um, and nobody knew, knew where I was. I didn't tell the school where I was going, I didn't tell anybody where I was going. I just didn't go back. Um, and eventually, I think I got home. I eventually went home, I don't know, 9 30, 10 o'clock that evening. Um, and of course, you know, people at home were worried, you know, um, I think my significant other was worried, he was worried. And um, yeah. And yeah, that was that. That was a very difficult time. Wow. I mean, I'm so sorry that you went through that. It's just so difficult to 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 listen to and to just to think that that we have we have this official body that goes around doing things to that. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Doing things to the teaching profession, to to really hardworking, really good, effective <clears throat> professional people, the fact that that they can do that and that they act with such impunity in doing so is just horrendous. And 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 the you know for you to you know eight o'clock the the previous morning you had no suggestion that this was coming you weren't in a window or anything and by the end of the following day you'd had written your resignation letter like that's just a i mean apart from anything else you know there's not we've got a huge shortage <laughs> of really good head teachers so just like pragmatically for a government that's supposedly concerned with with retention of of teachers this is just it's, it's just such an appalling way to treat people um and as you and as you said as it mentioned in that schools week um piece it's it's uncannily similar to what happened in the case of Ruth Perry and as we as we now know or as, as maybe some people have known for a while I've heard of similar cases before but not to the extent that we now know that there's um at least 10 uh, teachers or, or senior leaders or school leaders who've taken their own lives um, immediately following an Ofsted inspection. It's, the Ofsted has been named in 25 or more coroner's reports into the deaths of, of school leaders. You know, this is, and this is, that goes back a long time. You know, this is not a new story. It's new in the sense that, 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 that for some reason, this particular case with Ruth <clears throat> really seems to have struck a chord and, it's been quite remarkable to see the number of the number of people who've been speaking out, speaking about the impact that it's had on their mental health um, and on their relationships. And 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 I understand that you're now. So this is this is going to be your final year um, in in teaching. Is, is that decision being informed by what happened last year? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it has. Um, and yeah, I, I, yeah, yes, we were, being, and, and I'm sure we're going to come on to this. We were inspected within a very short time frame of the um, inadequate report being published, and the school, you know, rightly um, got good um, again, which is where it was it always was. Um, and but the damage had been done. The damage had been done. Um, it's not so much to my. I mean, my mental health struggled. I struggled last year massively. I've never struggled before ever in my life with mental health. Um, but I, but I struggled simply because I didn't understand. And you know, it's like you, you telling me my shirt is black and I'm telling you it's white. I just mm. didn't understand. Um, you know, you, you're the the reason behind the judgment. And and so I I, I resigned with essentially because I, I need time to decompress, I suppose, <laughs> to, to, to reevaluate where I'm going with my life and career. Um, had that inspection happened, not happened, sorry, or had the outcome not, be, had the outcome not been what it was, um, would I have remained in education? Probably, yeah. I wasn't ready to retire yet. I wasn't, I was, I'm, I'm you know, 54, going in 55. I'm almost of retirement eligible age and being 55 I can do that um but I wasn't ready to go to the time yet but certainly it, it had it took its toll really it, it, it really did take its toll on me and 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 yes I I feel the need to do something else new and different for a period of time with 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 my life and and even after the the second in, in, inspection that we had um I mean throughout all this period interestingly throughout this entire time um, I was still an Austin inspector on paper. I mean, I couldn't inspect, obviously, because I, I had inspections lined up last summer, and they one by one they got taken away from me for obvious reasons. Um, it's about credibility, of course. I get that. Um, and oh, really? Do you think that that's why? Is it, is it just that they thought that you're that you don't get to be an Ofsted inspector if you if you've been the head teacher on the end of a of a bruising judgment? Yeah, you can't no, you can't be an Ofsted inspector if your school's less than good. Um, right, I and, see. And okay. obviously, the report hadn't been published, but I, I, you know, it was never I was never told that that was the reasons. But it's unusual for all these inspections to be taken away from you, given the number of them that were forthcoming. Nonetheless, you know, I completely get it, and I, I wouldn't have been in the right mind mind frame anyway to to have inspected those those schools. Yeah. It must have been interesting. I, I imagine that the lead inspector knew that you were an Ofsted inspector, and yeah, that you... yeah, yeah, he did, he did. I'm sure we you know there's because because you know, I mean, there was. You know, you when you when you because it's the London team. I was in the London team, and you you know you inspectors, and you say, "Oh, I recognise you." I recognise. Oh, you know, maybe not have had a conversation with him before, but you just recognise people. So yeah, he. Mm. I'm, sure, I'm sure that he knew. Um, and then interestingly, post the um, second inspection and the outcome of the second inspection, which was good, I, I then got um, offered called me and asked me if I'd come back to them and re-inspect again. Um, and, and I've since decided, especially in the wake of Ruth Perry, that um, that, that, that won't be happening. Yeah. Um, 
I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect it. Sorry, can you can you hear a horrible drilling sound at your end? No, no, I'm fine. I can't. Oh, good. Okay, I think Zoom has got some some little sound <laughs> filter next door, having their kitchen done, and they're just okay, okay. like drilling. Um, I mean, I would have imagined that 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 conversation might have involved some expletives. I don't. I don't know. You don't don't, don't feel the need to share that, but um, you know, at least, at least no, privately, no, it, didn't. it didn't. No, not really. Not, not, no, I'm a firm believer in 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 help in trying to inform and change the system if I can. And I even thought about going back and and, and hopefully helping to influence change from the inside. I, I genuinely did. Right. Wow. I'm, I'm a firm believer in doing that, helping to you know I'm a. I, I like to think of myself as a, a bit of a system leader to try and really influence change, and that, and that's why I've decided to not do it that way, but to do it this way. Um, and obviously, the schools we can't quote something to the BBC, and of course, now I'm talking to you, James. And and so yes, this is my so this is my reason dentistry, if you like, for doing what I'm doing now, rather than going back to Austin and trying to influence change from the inside, because. That evidently is happening, albeit not as quickly or, or as you know as widely as, as as we might hope. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And just out of interest, so so, so that same clause they, they've now changed this, haven't they? The confidentiality clause. But were you expected to keep this judgment to yourself? Yeah, and that was incredibly difficult. So we were inspected at the end of March, um, and throughout the, this entire period of. Um, because I'm, we were complaining, we'd put in a complaint one, stage one complaint, stage two complaint, we, we were doing all of that. So from the end of March all the way through to the publication of the report, which is the first week in September, nobody could not, nobody knew. I mean, obviously governors knew because they were supporting me with with the with, with the challenge and the complaint. Well, didn't did they refuse your resignation letter? Yeah, they did wonderfully. My I, I, you know, um he's no longer my chair of governors, I had a wonderful chair of governors at the time. Who, 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 you know, he was incredibly supportive, and you know, uh, was came out to my house the following day with somebody from, um, um, what is, it's called, um, the Education Partnership Board, Having Education Partnership Board, and they were, and somebody from the diocese, and they were just so incredibly supportive, and 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 said, look, we 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 think you're a wonderful leader. Last thing you want to do is to lose you as a head teacher. If anybody can get us out of this mess, it's it's it's, it's you, and we have every we have a faith and confidence in you as the school's leader to 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 sort this out. And and that's right. what we want to hear in terms of supporting you and your well-being, rather than having an inspector who. Who, after they've told you this news, they've just closed down completely and walked out your office and leave you with the news. Wow. In, in such a, you know, in, in, in such a ruthless and unnecessary, unnecessarily brutal way. It was, it was brutal, really brutal and, and, and unnecessary. And that's what I couldn't quite understand. It sounds it. And, and there's just such a weird power dynamic there, isn't there? Like the, the ability to have that power over a school over a livelihood you know um must be quite intoxicating in some sense i don't know did you ever feel that as a lead inspector that the, that the power that intoxicating is maybe the wrong word i'm not suggesting that people that Ofsted inspectors are drunk on power but the, the, but there's still this like to have that power it's not often that you have that kind of power over somebody let alone over a whole organization 
I wonder, and, and, and also you would have thought that it would really sharpen the focus. If an Ofsted inspector was aware that the head teacher is also, also knows their onions, you might think that they'd be thinking, wow, I really need to make sure that I've got this one right. right. Um, so it's sort of interesting. But I'm, I'm, yeah, as a former lead inspector, just stepping aside from this particular experience, what's, what's your sense of that, like that sense of the power that comes with that, with that role of lead inspector? Yeah, I recognise that, but also as a head teacher, you've got you you, you know your own power, don't you? Really, over over the community that you serve, and the te- and, and and the teachers that you have. So I've always been mindful of that, but it's always, but you know, I I, I would I, I like to think I was a good Ofsted inspector, either as a team inspector or as a lead inspector, and I inspected and evaluated the school alongside the leaders, and and I, I wasn't I wasn't sort of. I wasn't power trip happy when I went into schools. I very much um, worked with the school's team to make them understand that I also understood the challenge that they're going through and the and and the difficulties that they face and and hopefully evaluated their school uh, as effectively and in line with their own view of the school. And if it wasn't, I would make I would make make very clear the reasons why, in my opinion, and 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 um, and based on the evidence I've seen why things aren't as, as as good as 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 they think they were. But nonetheless, yes, I completely get it. And I completely understand when you walk into a school and you hear you hear Ofsted, it, you know, it puts a fear of God into people. Mm. And um and so I completely, I completely I completely understand that. And and it's about making people feel warm, feel welcome, supporting them and, and then and then they can relax if they know that actually, yeah, you get it. You can they can see that you understand them, you get it, because you're really listening. And there's a sense of actually, um, as a as a head teacher, you do it. It's about, you know, it's about your eye contact, it's about your body language, it's about how you do things, it's about you being, it's it's just really about you demonstrating your understanding about this challenges that schools face. And I didn't, I didn't think the team that I had really understood my school's context and the challenges that we had been facing. Um, particularly, particularly within the community that we serve, and particularly post-COVID pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I know you listened to the episode with Rebecca Leak talking about interpreting uh, the inspector's eyebrows yeah. <laughs> as, as a metaphor for for how well the inspection is going. I think I'd be I'd be a bad Ofsted inspector because my <laughs> eyebrows jump around all over the place. People would be not sure what to make of me. Um, and so, so if we thank you for sharing that, like it's just my goodness. And and you know what's really interesting. So so according to this this so-called reliable watchdog, the school is good, and then in March it's really bad, like to the not just requires improvement, but all the way down to inadequate. And then within a, a matter of months, it's back to good again. And then the, it begs the question, doesn't it? Like, so which is it? <laughs> you know, like, is it the school that literally went from being good to inadequate to good and that you are a reliable measure of schools? Or is your is your ruler broken? <laughs> you know, they, I mean, that's probably a rhetorical question. Nice. But, you know, I mean, it's just so obviously very, very deeply flawed. And that's that's one of the one of the really difficult things here is that you know everybody agrees that that accountability is really important i've yet to meet a head teacher who doesn't want to be you know scrutinized or held to account for looking after you know vulnerable young people 
Um, and it's really hard. Maybe we should be honest about just the fact that it is hard because we've got such a diverse population of schools, because Ofsted inspectors are human beings, because with the best will in the world, frameworks are sometimes a bit woolly and open to interpretation. We sort of we get it wrong, and you know I'm not. I don't think that anybody's sitting in in Ofsted HQ, stroking a white cat, going whoa, you know, like concocting evil plans. And yet, very very bad things are happening as a consequence of what is happening in Ofsted HQ. And so, so if if for example that you, that, I don't know if you put your application in for the. Um, for the HMI inspector, the the, the lead role uh, is up for grabs, isn't it? Miss Spielman, uh, Amanda Spielman is is on her way out. I think they've actually already appointed a shortlist. But if you were to, if you were to, just as a thought experiment, um, if you were to to uh, step into those illustrious shoes, what would you do? What would you change? Oh, a six million dollar question, James. That one. What would I change? Um, look, we, I mean, first of all, it, it, it's, it's like you say, you know, we're, we're public servants. We're paid for, as a school, you know, we, we're paid for from the public purse. We completely accept accountability, 100%. We completely upset, accept Ofsted, you know, it's there. Um, but, um, yeah, and, and schools, we do need to be held to account and we welcome them coming into our schools by and large. But it's about the way that it's done. And for us, for, for, for certainly for me and my experience, and I, I can speak for, I'm sure for a number of the other leaders that I that I know and have spoken to in the past, it's about consistency, um, consistency of approach and getting it right. And I don't know whether or not it's because the framework changes so often, um, why the consistency is so varied. And, and people are constantly chasing their tail. I don't know if it's because um, the right people aren't in position. I don't know if it's because you have, you, you've got lots of inspectors who've never been head teachers themselves before, um, and that includes actually Amanda Spillman. You know, you've got you've, you've got you've got a lot of people who 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 you know have only ever been senior, senior leaders within a school, and then they're expected to go into um, primaries and secondaries and other settings. And inspect them. You've got people who, who, who I know recently, um, even this, this, this was last week. In fact, a, a, a good friend of mine, primary school, got inspected by um, um, three inspectors, all of whom are secondary leaders. Yes, by and large, you know, by and large, you know, you interpret a framework. You interpret a framework. You should be skilled and trained to be. I get that, but. If, if you really are going to be evaluating the quality of provision in, in phonics or in early years, then you need to have a bit of a degree of understanding of, of what the practice genuinely involves by being a leader or uh, of, of, of that setting. So, yeah, it's a bit of a worry, really, when you, when you have inspectors who don't have the specialisms, I think, to go into schools to deliver um, um, an inspection framework well enough to the setting that you're that you're you know that you're evaluating. Yeah. They talk a lot about knowledge, don't they, Ofsted? They've got onto this neo-traditionalist like bandwagon. They define learning as a change in the long-term memory. And it's all about knowledge. And that was the thinking behind the curriculum. And yet they've got all of the, all like lots of their inspectors are operating outside of their their domain of knowledge, which is interesting to note, isn't it? Um 
Okay, so 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 you're suggesting that that one thing that you do is is to look at recruitment and deployment of of inspectors to to maybe recruit more inspectors. You know, like clearly there must be a shortage. You'd imagine that they would get primary colleagues to inspect primary schools where possible. So do you think it's just that there's a shortfall of inspectors that that the reason that so many of them are operating out of their area of expertise? That's certainly a possibility, Jen. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know who's responsible for scheduling inspections or for determining who's going to inspect which setting. Um, but by and large, inspectors, when you do, when you train, you can you you can uh, um, access training modules for key keys areas of specialism. For example, SEN or, or or the independent sector or primary or secondary schools. And I suppose once you've once you've fulfilled your obligation in terms of um accessing that training and, and successfully being trained in that area, then by and large you you can go out and inspect within them if you can so that's that's typically what happens. But my view is that there needs to be a degree of understanding about what those settings um, are genuinely about in terms of because how can you report on a school's how can you evaluate effectively about a school if you don't fully understand the school's context because you've never been either leader or even worked within a setting of that nature and that that's what worries me somewhat and of course yeah. of course the other thing key thing that we we sort of alluded to before um, is is around in terms of what needs to change in any way is around the single word judgment and, and that sort of encapsulates all of this, doesn't it, really, in, in terms of it not being fully representative of, of what a school is is, is about. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And, and Amanda Spielman came out yesterday and she sort of said, we're not going to change the one word judgments because essentially, essentially she was saying that's above my pay grade that that's something that ministers should decide upon. And yeah, I can I can understand to an extent because... Ofsted isn't a regulator, is it? It's literally just an inspection organization. And the regulator is the DFE and the DFE intervenes. So if a school has been deemed to be or been rated as inadequate, that is the trigger that the regulator then uses to do a forced academization or whatever it might be to close the school. Or, you know, if there's been financial irregularities or whatever, then they can swoop in and figure out what's going on. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's clearly it's not as easy as just saying we're going to do away with one word judgments, because if you do that just without doing anything else, then the regulator is no longer able to regulate. And so it needs a bit of thinking through. But it also seems clear that, that Amanda Spielman isn't advocating. She certainly hasn't indicated that she's advocating for the one word judgments. You know, as the leader of an organization, if you can see that something isn't working, then it's your job surely to report to your political masters and say, we need to look at this as a matter of urgency because look at all these like these people leaving good people are leaving the profession um because of what we're doing here. And and it, apart from anything, we've talked about this in, in previous episodes, it's just not like like with a social research hat on. It's not in any way a reliable measure. Like to to reduce something as complex as as a population of schools, to 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 to, to suppose this is based on this assumption that you can reliably measure those those organisations on a four point scale, and it just doesn't add up. Like methodologically speaking, it just doesn't add up, especially as you say, because there's so much subjective interpretation in terms of how the framework is 
is conceived of by by these individual people who who are flawed. And so, so just as a final question, if I may, to come back to this to the safeguarding thing, which is what so much of this is focused on, and and what you know your your school was 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 um, the, the the judgment was based on on a safeguarding concern as they saw it. What what's your sense of the way in which Ofsted? conceives of safeguarding currently do you feel like there's so for example there was a there was a, i don't know how true this is because it's not written in the report but there's been like somebody said that at, at, the, at the ruth perry school that there was a kid who was flossing you know that dance where they move their arms around like that and that, that an inspector had seen that and that they had seen that as like sexually inappropriate behavior or something and you just think well that says more about you than it does about flossing <laughs> you know if you think that um and so I don't. I don't know enough about you know being on the receiving end of safeguarding judgments to to be able to to call this. But having having been there and having been an inspector, what's your sense? Because the reason I'm asking this is that lots of people at the moment are saying that Ofsted should be really shrunk down. Like if, if safeguarding is so important, then you need to you, the remit needs to just be shrunk down to really just focus on that. And then all of this other stuff about curriculum and assessment and pedagogy and defining what learning is. We can leave that to other people. The subject associations can be involved. Schools can inspect one another in some sort of peer review sort of situation. And that therefore the Ofsted should just be reduced to a single safeguarding auditor or a safeguarding advisor, if you like. But that 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 seems to rest upon the idea that safeguarding is currently being well well described, well defined, and well observed during the under the current organization. And I'm not sure that it is. I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that. The framework states and stresses that safeguarding should be weaved through all in the, the entire inspection framework and all inspection practices. So, so for example, if you're going into lessons and, uh, and observing the quality of teaching and looking at evidence of of conduct around the school and the extent to which children pupils feel safe within classrooms that's an aspect of safeguarding um absolutely so so and that would inform um it would inform um behavior and attitude but it would also inform safeguarding in relation to the extent to which children feel safe so i get that um but but more than anything else i think like i said before um I don't think it should be. I don't think it should sit as a separate um, almost as a separate thing that sits outside of the framework of it. I, I welcome it. I, I welcome safeguarding as being as as threading through the entire framework, if you like. Yes, there are compliance things that we need to meet. Yes, we need to make sure that we have the right checks in place, the DBS checks and the single central record is up to date. All those compliance things need to be there. Of course they do, because you know you need to make sure that the right people are in the are in, are in positions to do the jobs that they are, that they have to do. Get we get, get all of that, absolutely. But in, but it really needs to be about ensuring that the culture, the rich culture within the school is 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 it is there and that can be evidenced through safeguarding as well. And, and that is also about talking not just to a, a handful of children, 
It is about um, talking to other adults within the school, including parents, for example, and their, their children's experiences. And if something isn't quite, if something arises that um, gives, you know, is, is a cause for concern, then to genuinely, genuinely um, in, not investigate necessarily, but generally determine whether or not that issue is systemic throughout a school rather than a separate and single incident that's happened or, or, or whether these things systemically happen over time. Because if they do, yeah, there's a significant issue. But as was my case, it was a one-off incident that happened and a couple of things that children had said that was deemed to be systemic throughout the school, which, of course, we know that it wasn't. So, so for me, it's about actually looking at the school you know, and the culture of safeguarding in all in, in, in the range of inspection practices. Um, and, it's, and, and it's as broad as it is long. I welcome it. I think it should be there. I think we need to demonstrate that children feel safe, not just in terms of what we provide them with and how they feel within the school and talking to them and the parents and, and staff and, and, and all the, the whole gamut of things that we've got to do, but also in terms of compliance checks. I get it, it needs to be there and, it's, and it should be reported on. But again, it's about really investigating the culture and determining whether or not it's is, it is systemic systemically good or not so good throughout the school mm. that makes sense yeah it does yeah thank you thank you i'm still trying to get my head around it um like it's there's, there's a lot to there's a lot to understand um with regards to safeguarding because like you say it is it is woven throughout throughout so many aspects of a school's life like there's emotional safety physical safety like the physical condition of the building you know there's like lots and lots of layers to it aren't there um, and also, but going back, I mean, it's, it's a bit like the single word judgment, isn't it? Um, you know, if, if you're saying safeguarding is ineffective, which can pull a school down completely, then actually, is it one aspect of safeguarding that's ineffective? Um, and how important is that aspect of safeguarding? To yeah. So therefore, it's about, again, it's a culture of safeguarding. So if you're saying, okay, it's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue here that, okay, there's, there's, there's one check that's not in place, for example, um, a qualification, somebody hasn't got a qualification that's needed, um, or it's not reported in a single century record, and that may happen in one or two places, but actually, does that mean that, safe, that children aren't safe within your school? No, mm. our children genuinely safeguarding is about the extent to which children, pupils, students feel and are safe within a school, rather mm. than it simply being about a compliance check. Yeah, it seems like there should almost be some sort of a safeguarding health check that's much more just like a very clearly defined audit that looks at, for example, you know, you you said that like ninety five percent of parents responses were positive or whatever you could have very clear sort of like traffic lit you know like indicators and you could say right so like you know if less than 70 percent of parents or 60 or whatever it is are saying that it's unsafe that's a cause for concern and you could end up with a sort of with a traffic lit you know like report card if you like but for which as because as, yeah as, as you say you know for, to say you're inadequate for safeguarding which aspect of safeguarding is that? Like that's a multi-layered beast, um, and you know, and it's not that helpful, frankly. You know, like like the, the Ofsted's MO, like their their mission statement is to improve standards through school inspection, but there's no evidence that that schools improve 
because of Ofsted. There's, there's been research, there's been reports on it. There's, it's not clear that it does that. And maybe that's because the, the feedback that they that they provide in the form of a report is often quite sort of abstracted, isn't it? It doesn't really mention things. It just sort of makes general statements about think this is good and this needs to this needs to improve. But it's not really that actionable as feedback. And I go back, yeah, you're absolutely right, James. And I go back to my two reports. I don't know if you've read my two reports, but you need to look at them. One was one was published in September, and and the, the second inspection was in early November, just less than two months um, outside the publication of the of the awful inadequate report. And and yes, um, we made a few changes. Of mainly, mostly changes of a of a technical nature, dotting the i's and crossing the t's of things that we needed to do in terms, particularly in relation to a bit of paperwork here and there. And we did that, and we did it very, and there were very quick five-minute fixes in, in essence, really. Um, but, but the, and that's in relation to safeguarding. But the culture of safeguarding, did we change our practices? Did we change anything significant that we typically do within our school and, and to make our children feel more safe than they did a couple of months before? No, wouldn't do that. None of that was done. So the culture of safeguarding was secure. Children felt safe. Parents thought that their children at the school were safe. That reflected in surveys. But the only thing that we really changed, I would say, was a few were, were a few things around um, mainly, mainly around paper and that reporting, reporting to others by and large. And that, and that there were very quick fixes that need to be done um, in, in Ofsted size. And by and large, we we followed the guidance. We followed the mm. guidance. Well. So so it's, 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 a, it's a huge beast safeguarding. And all schools will say, I'm sure all schools that you speak to, all leaders will, will mention that actually they haven't, that they haven't ticked every single box, but you know, and and and, we'll, and it will be ever thus. Well, it will. Like I mean, schools are big, complex places. They're dynamic. They're ever changing. People can have bad days, right? Like there's always going to be some amount of bullying that happens in schools. Kids can be absolutely vile to one another at times. And of course, the school needs to respond to that when it happens, but you can't ever prevent it from happening in the first place. And there are, so, there are, you know, there are 2 million persistent absentees, as you mentioned earlier, the absentee problem. 2 million out of 9 million are voting with their feet at the moment to the to the extent that they're defined as persistent absentees. And I imagine that a large proportion of those would essentially chalk it down to a sense of safety, that they don't feel safe, they don't feel welcomed, they don't have a good friendship group, there's, there's bullying, whatever it might be, they don't like their teachers, whatever it is, you know, when, you, when you're absent from school, it's not fun. Like if, if you're a persistent absentee, get loads of letters and phone calls and parents being threatened with fines and what have you, and yet all of those kids are still choosing that strife over sitting in the back of a classroom or or even the front of a classroom. Um, and that tells us something, you know, like, like safeguarding is never going to be perfect, is it? Like it's always a work in progress. And that's why a sort of a strengths-based approach, like an appreciative inquiry approach, a report card approach that said very explicitly, these are some areas that we, you know, think are really good. Here's some areas where we think there's still a bit of room for improvement, you know, and we recognize that, you know, what goes up, sometimes comes down and vice versa and we'll see you in, we'll see you next year you know i don't think anyone would would have a problem with that yeah, absolutely and you know this again the single word judgment and and as often rhetoric from Ofsted, which says 
parents find it easier to understand by having single, I think it's insulting parents really, or parents really, to suggest that they can't read the body of a report or, 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 or they can't read more than a single word to understand what a school is genuinely about. Absolutely. And as we've pointed out, like, you know, they, they, they say that they're giving information to schools, but that information is crap information, basically. It's like it's not a good way of, of capturing what a school is like. And so, you know, if you're proud of the fact that you're giving parents un, un, inadequate, unhelpful, very partial, very unreliable information, if that if that's your if that's your if that's how you define the success of the organization, then. We need to rethink that organization. Um, Alvin, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with me today and for speaking out, right, and for sharing your story. I'm sure that it's not easy. And, you know, maybe you said it was cathartic a bit to, to talk about it, and I'm sure it is. But also, you know, it's not fun, is it, to talk about this stuff? I'm sure that there's other things that you'd rather be doing. Um, and and so and so, congratulations on your on your impending retirement from from uh the profession do you have any plans as to what's coming next or are you just going to sort of wait and see um yeah it's a bit of decompressing a bit of traveling um for the best part of a year i think and then come back and and pick up where i left off in terms of okay well what next i'll do something i'm not quite sure what yet but I'll, i'm sure i'll do something in time mm, amazing well i wish you well thank you very much i've really appreciated this chance to speak with you thank you very much james Sure.